What's going on? It's episode 57 of Into the Woods, and this week I got a special guest. I got special guest Robert Dean. I got a guest for you. How about that? I'm big timing you. It's not just me rambling, and it's not ranting, okay? People say, Ryan, you rant too much. I'm not ranting, all right? Ranting is like, you know, I'm foaming at the mouth, screaming. Maybe I am ranting. But anyways, I got, I got Robert Dean this week, man, a good guest. Uh, this is my conversation with Robert Dean. He uh, has work that has appeared in Mike, Father Lee, Forbes, Consequence of Sound, and the Austin American Statesman. He, he describes it way better than me. He's got a new special coming out. He'll tell you all about it. He's a working journalist. Here he is, Robert Dean. We talk about things like politics, culture, music, and uh, food. So we hit it all, man. Uh, this is my conversation with Robert Dean. Enjoy. What we do here is go back, 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 back. So I'm here with uh, Rob, Bobby H, as his uh, Zoom says. And I just tore my room apart. You can't even see it, but as tripod, I fucking ripped my room apart for my fucking light. I'm like, I got to get my light on. And I was just looking for this tripod. I'm like, I fucking don't even use this thing. Where the fuck would I put it? I tore my room up. Anyways, fuck, that's, why, that's how we're getting started, man. That's why no one listens to this, because it's a fucking lo-fi <laughs> podcast. <laughs> That's dude. We live a lo-fi life. It's all fucking insane. Yeah, you're, you're on the. You said you're in a park bench. So I don't know if you follow me on Instagram. I do this thing called Bench Talk every week, where I'll be riding my bike, which is something I started doing when the world shut down, and I would go sit on a bench anywhere, like I could find one. Like if I came across one, I would just sit down and then come up with a, the first thought that was in my head. I would just rant about it, I guess, and people nice. lo- people love it. So where are you right now? I am in Galveston, Texas. And why are you on a bench? <laughs> well, so I live in Austin and I basically since pandemic and I've been getting Airbnbs just to like change it up and I get out of town and Airbnbs are fucking cheap right now. Fuck yeah. And so you go, I've got you, I got an Airbnb. I'm so Gal, are you familiar with Texas at all? Uh, no, Besides, I've never been to Texas. So uh, Galveston is a tiny little island. So if you look at the Gulf of Mexico, there's a, a tiny island about two miles outside of it, and it's like 30 miles long. It feels completely not like Texas, um, which Texas is its own subject and completely not. If you've never been here, what you think Texas is like is not what Texas actually is. But uh, I mean, it's not cowboy hats and rodeo and barbecue. I mean, we do have those things, yes, <laughs> but we it is not like. It is not George Bush's fucking like playground oh, as everybody thinks it is. <laughs> yeah, come on, they're out uh, there throwing baseballs. Uh, <laughs> so, but Galveston is this little like island community, and it's right off the the Gulf of Mexico. Like the Atlantic Ocean is literally like a half a mile away from me. And is it the Atlantic Ocean? Yeah, I think that's the it, the Gulf is still the Atlantic. Yeah, I think yeah, you're right. I used Atlantic. to get in this dude. I used to get in this fucking debate in in school where I was like, "Aren't all the oceans sure they're different names?" But that's just for directional purposes. They're all the same. They all blend together. Why do we even name them? Who gives a shit? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're you're right. <laughs> and so I uh, I bounced my Airbnbs like right around the corner from here, and I went to the bookstore, and then I had that other call, and. So I was just like, well, I'm going to sit and enjoy the outside because I've been cooped up working in the house pretty much all day. And so I was like, I'm just going to do these outside. Yeah, it's fine, man. Uh, more the merrier being outside. I mean, I do this on a computer. I don't do it on a phone. So, I mean, I could have done it on a phone. We could have done this from a, bu- a bench to bench. Yeah, bench to That's what you just start calling it, yeah, bench to bench. Bench to bench. And we just do these calls. Um, so tell me what you do. Uh, people want to know probably how we even started talking. You reached out cause I put out a little thing. Like if you want to be on the show, you know, hit me up and you did. And, uh, I looked into your stuff on Facebook, but if you could just let people know what you do and what it is 
uh, you know, your profession is really. So I am Robert Dean. Uh, people who are my friends call me Bobby, but I'm Robert Dean. I am a professional writer, journalist, hack. I do that shit for a living. I've been on NPR. I was on CNN last week. Um, I, my stuff's been in like Austin American Statesman, Mike, Fatherly, Forbes, Victoria Times. I've got a couple of books published. Uh, I'm trying to land something right now. I had something lined up with Vice, but then basically my editor there lost his job because of the pandemic. And mm. you can find me in all over the place. I mean, I've got stuff in a million. I've been at the border from inches from dudes with machine guns all the way to... <laughs> You know, doing stories about trap houses. So you're so, so you journal about like so do you work with I mean I've watched so many this is off topic. This is gonna be I just I'm gonna blow past all the stuff you just said for because I'm stuck on something. Vice documentaries. I spend hours watching vice documentaries. <laughs> do you yeah, I know. have you done any of those? I haven't done those, but so I for a the whole purpose of why I was reaching out is I just made a special called uh, Functioning on Zero, Robert yeah. Dean Live at the Lost Well, and that's going to drop sometime within the next month. But the reason why I did that is because up until the pandemic when hit, I was on track. To, I was in L.A. pitching a TV show, and I was I have met with a bunch of people. I'm signed to a production company now. And Vice was on the list of places to talk to. But Vice actually doesn't really have, like, they're super cheap. So a lot of yeah. people will work with them and leave. Like, Deezus Samaro left. Action Bronson left. Uh, you know, everybody well, you tell, eventually. You could tell Vice is, is cheap every, and you get a, couple, a little deeper. Yeah, everybody Yeah, everybody eventually leaves them. I'm not talk, talking shit about them. No, I'm just saying no. it's like what it is. But I had a TV. I have a TV show called Out of Step that we were doing. And so I shot this special to essentially reignite interest in it because I went from come back to LA in six weeks, you're going to meet with CNN, Hulu, Netflix, and all these people to, uh, we hope we'll see you in 2021. <laughs> yeah. So, that's just the real, that's just the reality of what we're doing now. It fucking sucks. So yeah, I, was looking I shot to... that thing to like, you know, to just kind of like keep the wheels moving. Yeah. I was, so you shot like a, so was it a comedy special or was it a show? It's like a, I, it's a tribute. There's an old special. Charles Bukowski is my favorite writer. Okay. And he did a special back in 72 called Bukowski Reads Bukowski. And one, my favorite bar needed money. They're like, you know, they're trying to get everybody to support them because it's a rad venue in Austin. And uh, what the fuck is that? Some guy riding, Harley, uh, riding a Harley on flip-flops. <laughs> right on. Um but he did this special called Bukowski Reads Bukowski and the Lost Well is one of my favorite bars and they've been like everybody within like the punk rock, metal and hardcore and country music community, the whole Austin thing, um, they've been helping them raise money. So they've been doing a lot of different stuff and they were like offering to rent the stage for 45 bucks an hour. It was like $100 for four hours and I was like, what can I do? And so then I was like, I'm going to copy Bukowski's uh Bukowski's Bukowski and so I copied the format of it so it's like me reading it's me doing an interview me fucking around it's it's pretty entertaining I mean I like it and I feel like it hopefully people will give a shit but everybody who's gotten to see it is like no this is really fun so hopefully people will watch it and hopefully it can kind of push the narrative forward and get back on people's radar because I'm telling you all my Hollywood people are all basically just sitting twiddling their thumbs no one is doing shit right now yeah, there's nothing going on. I uh, I think the Lost Well might have been a story with. I feel like I've heard that before. The name, the Lost Well. I got yeah. It's a it's a bar in Austin that uh, is it's super cool. Like I said, it's like super underground country punk metal motorcycles. Everybody fucking gets crazy drunk in there, and there's so many good shows that happen. Like. I'm glad to see that Austin stepped up for them because we're losing venues because of this shit. Yeah, right. But people people are fighting to keep that one. I think this was a... I mean, I could be totally off base here. There was a story by uh, Dave Grohl of Foo Fighters. I don't have to really introduce him. I could have said Dave Grohl of Nirvana, but that would have been funny. Uh, the <laughs> uh, He did like a story where he dimebagged Daryl, had like a strip club outside of Austin. And they oh, drove... That's, yeah. No, that's, da that's Dallas, Dallas because... Okay. Uh, yeah. yeah, no, that's... 
that story is Dallas, Texas, and that uh, what is the name of um, the basement? Was the name of is it the basement? No, it was something. It was something like uh... no, it's not the basement. Uh, if I could, it's me and my friends have always talked about going there because it's the Pantera Strip Club, and yeah, but they they would pick them up and they had a limo with bullhorns on everything because I'm a diehard Pantera fan. Yeah, and. I will argue to the death with people about it because people are like, Pantera's problematic. I'm like, look, let's fucking take pause here and let's talk about some shit before you give me the cancel culture speech on Pantera. (laughs) And I'm as fucking progressively, I'm wearing a t-shirt right now that says anti-racist. And It doesn't get any more anti-racist than that. Yeah, no, I'm (laughs) I'm a full-blown, I've been to the Black Lives Matter protests. I'm, the whole thing, I'm that guy. But, I have a hard time. I guess Phil a little problematic. He's had some moments over the years that clearly are worth the cultural discussion. But when yeah. somebody's like, I have, I flat out refuse to think that Dimebag Daryl was a racist. Yeah, I feel like it's weird. Uh, I looked it up. It seems like first before I think it's called Bear Assets. No, it's not that. It's no, uh, no the um, that's not the name of it. It's um, it'll come to me in a minute, but. But anyways, yeah, so, no, I get what you're saying. I feel like those, especially if you're looking 20 years back, if you're looking to cancel people, like, this is like the John Wayne argument with me. Like, look, I don't think John Wayne's a fucking humanitarian, but he was born in, like, 18-whatever. So saying he was, I mean, could you, do you think the guy was going to be progressive? Yeah, he's fucking John Wayne. Like, like <laughs> I have this thing, I look at, the, like, so I understand the need to, like, call people out on their bullshit. 100%, yeah. by all means you say some wild problematic shit you're fuck. you got to pay the toll for that and i'm 100 percent on board with it but it's like if you if, if you're under any kind of surprise that john wayne was a fucking like old shitty white dude i mean come on dude what the fuck are, are you like really how are you surprised by this like yeah. the guy made fucking war movies and like probably hated everyone who wasn't like a straight yeah. white guy and drank whiskey and like fucking ate steak for every meal of the day and like was like fuck a vegetable yeah, you know? these, it's not like I mean I can't go back and they like they talk about uh, this is what I love when they go back and they're like oh our founding fathers like they did this and this and this I'm like well yeah they were no <laughs> shit yeah it was 1780 I mean who the fuck was progressive what was progressive then not powdering yeah, I mean, your wig for a week or something that was a bad joke <laughs> it's it, my thing is like just stop venerating the past in a way yeah. that like we make it Americans have this thing that I don't understand that like we're so it's this fucking thing that came up post-World War II that we, like, will just bend over backwards and obsess about our flag. Like, no other country on the fucking earth, like, fucking jacks off over their flag like we do. But we also do this with our cultural heroes of, like, history. Most places, other countries around the world don't do that. Like, I don't give a shit what George Washington did. Thanks for helping found the country. But do I think it's fucked up that he you know had slave teeth in his mouth yeah dude that's super fucked up and that that's not cool like he didn't have wooden teeth he had slave fucking teeth right and that's like well we shouldn't put george washington on this pedestal anyway of like that he was this great dude yeah sure he fucking founded the country fine but do we really need all these like admonishments to his greatness i mean i really don't think so i think like nationalism is bullshit in the first place you're just lucky to be born somewhere I, mean, oh, my, I just had this talk last week with uh, somebody at, you know, I've just been passing and I was talking like, it's so crazy when people are like, oh, those illegals. And I'm like, they're illegal because they were born like where you're in in Galveston. I can't imagine that's more than 500 miles away from the southern border just because they were born 500 miles south. They're illegal somehow. My thing is like uh, when somebody says, if you don't like it, you can leave. And you're like, so what? If you don't like the country you're in, you're supposed to just go somewhere else. Like, yeah, like, cool. That's why that's exactly the the thing that they're trying to go somewhere. They don't like where they're at. They want to go somewhere better. So your argument is essentially invalid. All the, all the arguments, man, it's crazy. Cause I go on, you know, I try to go on and I, I do this, like I do this uh, silly podcast as like an escape, right. For people that come on here. And I think like, cause you go on and you're inundated with like just shit from people who are just psychos, no matter who, like, I mean, you could be the most liberal person or you could be the most, you know, racist person or the conservative, whatever you want to be, you put a label on it 
and you're just posting shit all day. I'm like, that's got to be like a mental illness to just worry so much. If you know what I'm saying, like, why can't we just all accept? I mean, I'm not going to go sue. Hey, man. But like, why can't we just accept people for who they are? You know, like, why does it matter so much? That's never going to happen. I know. Isn't it crazy, though, that we worry so much about these silly things? Well, I mean, but you have to look at it in context. Like, what is considered silly? Because, like, True. wanting to be socially progressive and wanting to be broken down by how we see people. Like, people deserve to have a voice. People right. deserve to be represented in their communities. Like, that's what I'm saying. Is like, I understand that the under the the core reason of cancel culture, but I also think that there it, it's so far fucking to swing so hard that there isn't an, an anonymous gray area. But we also make anonymous gray areas for people that we feel like are you know, untouchable, mm-hmm. like fucking the misfits are one of my favorite bands in the whole universe, but misfits lyrics are wild, problematic, dude, yeah. you know, and you read them, you're like, Ooh. like, they like, I'm crazy. Like there's a whole lot of social justice warriors out there that are still rocking a fucking crimson ghost. You're just picking and choosing because it's part of your like lineage. So how we deal with that. But I don't think that in terms of do I think that people need to constantly battle back and forth over a point of view? Sometimes, yeah, because, sure. you know, sorry, man, fucking QAnon people are fucking insane. Insane, and yes, we could talk about this, yes. They're fucking insane, but, like, do I think that people on the left have this propensity to, like, be really whiny and not get really get a point across? Yeah, like, we're totally, there are people completely guilty of that. Yeah. But I am very, very aware and sure that you gotta like you can't like status quo but a lot of shit has to just not be that way anymore like there's there's a place for everyone and all people deserve to be represented and that includes people on the right and that includes people who do have really right fucking but they should be checked on everything that they say and we they shouldn't be able to just be like well it's on fox news so we know it's true it's like pump the brakes on boy yeah no that shit's bullshit so this is awesome like i think uh like, I always think it's so crazy, like, when all this coronavirus stuff started, we were talking about masks, and masks are still a huge debate now, but they're like, oh, masks don't work, and I'm like, well, where are you getting that information from? And they go, well, I heard it. I'm like, okay, so what makes it true? You know what I mean? What makes that true than me saying they do work? And then they just say, well, it's because I want to believe it, or, like, when they talk about, because a lot of people aren't going to like, you know, I think there's this thing now where there's this propensity to say, uh, oh, well, that person doesn't agree with me, so he shouldn't talk politics, and yeah. I find that they're like, oh, this is the truth. And it's just someone that agrees with them. And that's like, that's just not how this works. When people say that masks don't work, I have two very simple answers. One, my ex-wife is an award-winning nurse. Like she is literally one of the best nurses in the state of Texas. Out of 36 million fucking people, my ex-wife is one of the, has an, is an award-winning nurse that works on an ICU unit in the graveyard in the middle of the night in the state capital of this, this state. She has seen, this has given her PTSD from the shit she has seen. Yeah. Uh, I have been, I was with her for nine years and I, she had issues with traumatic stuff that she would see on the job. Coronavirus is fucking, see, they lost every patient they had on a weekend one time. Every patient. It's crazy. Every, uh, everything was full and they lost people. I, I know a doctor, I know somebody who's a doctor without borders who has traveled around the country. She's been in war zones, been to Mexico, been to Laos, been to fucking Vietnam, been to Iraq. She's been everywhere and treating like bomb victims, all kinds of shit. And she'll tell you straight up, she goes, this is no joke. She goes, this is killing people. So why the fuck would I not listen to these people? And I have a friend who's a statistician who is literally keeping track of it for uh, for uh, multiple news agencies and another guy who is working on the vaccine is one of my sources. So when all these people can give me a wholehearted answer on why this is serious, I'm going to listen to them, not yeah. some dickhead who barely fucking passed high school rudimentary uh, history class. Not some asshole with a podcast, you know? Yeah, I mean, it's like... <laughs> like some. Oh, it's crazy. When some dude will slap together a bunch of fucking videos of like Fight Club and stick some over like narrative over it of like these don't work, they're trying to get you, and then it gets like fifty thousand views. I'm like, fuck all of you, dude. I've seen, dude. There's been some videos. I like the QAnon stuff to bring it like kind of back around. I've had I had people that I thought were my friends. I thought were like cool people. I was like, oh, I, I would acquaint with those people, you know. 
not like get invited to their wedding type shit, but like, you know, we've seen yeah. them passing. And they uh and then they just go like it was happened recently, like in the last few weeks, like they started posting these videos of like this ominous drone footage with some ominous music and it's they're coming for you and they want to get you, they want to control you. And I'm like, no, maybe they just want to keep you alive. My thing is, uh, are you familiar with the thing of Occam's razor? Uh, a little bit. So for anybody listening who doesn't know, Occam's razor is the simple, it's the simple theory is sometimes the most easy answer is actually the real one. Right. And people need to just accept that we have held a, a corner on humanity for a really long time, but people need to realize that nature can still humble us. Yeah. Nature can still do things to us. And as we're pushing into areas, cause like as we're in like deforesting places and we're doing shit to push the narrative of building more buildings and fucking sacrificing indigenous people's lands and their livelihoods. And these animals have nowhere to go. That's nature telling us to like pump the fucking brakes, be happy with what we have, like maybe scale back this like rampant capitalism to like suck this place dry. The earth is going to be fine with us. The earth is, the earth is going to always regenerate itself. We are the disease that is going to constantly just kill ourselves because we just can't handle what our actual purpose in life is. And we have to want more, we have to be greedier and have to constantly try to fucking make every single penny and fucking cut down 50 more trees. And because we do that shit, you get new diseases and you get stuff because uh, something we still don't even know where this came from. There was the argument of, did it come from a rat? Did it come from a wet market? Did it come from a, up the wet market in Wuhan. We're still yeah, figuring somebody, that shit out. Somebody eat a bat. Like who knows? Yeah. We're still figuring that out. And there is, there is a diagnostic testing lab in Wuhan, China. And so did somebody have an oopsie? Did something get out that we're trying to figure? And so there's all these different complicated things, but when you say like, oh, they're going to get you. So uh, did they get us like Sharia law? Remember Jade Helm? Remember the migrant caravan? Remember the death camps? None of them got us. It's all yeah. bullshit. And you're all fucking falling for it because you can't think objectively. I think it's so. It's always so crazy too with the with the people that really go extreme. I feel like they handled one like pandemic, like the whole situation terribly. Like they, oh, I had to. There has to be an answer. Like I think people that we live in. I mean, you'll probably agree with this. Like we live in a society where we live in a society. Like what a meme, but like uh, there's like this, and then that. This equals that. If you get this, then 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 this equals that you can just add one plus one must equal two. And it's like, maybe it's not that simple all the time. And maybe they don't know. Maybe, you know, the change in the answer so much because they don't know. Is that also possible? I think that's possible. Again, it goes to the thing is sometimes the simplest answer is the truest one. There are complicated, there are complexities and complications to that. Absolutely. But we just have this propensity to like, people have seen way too many fucking movies that they yes. think there's these like darker corners that are always creeping around. Uh, but by all means, like, do, is there fucked up stuff happening in dark shadows of society? Yes. Most likely. There is. There is. <laughs> like, you can, we're still trying to figure out the fucking Kennedy thing, man. And right. that happened like two generations ago. 50 years. 50 years almost. Or over 50 years. Almost 60 years. Yeah. So we're, we're still trying to figure out Kennedy. And, you know, and then you go on like to 9-11 and you go to all this stuff and it's like, you go down the rabbit hole on things and yeah, are you going to find inconsistencies and stories and stuff worth looking at? But ask anybody who's ever project managed some shit, man. You tell 11 people a secret. Nine of them are going to tell their best friend. I've always, I've always, uh, I talked about this weeks ago when I was talking about, oh, people are like, everyone's on board. They all know something. I'm like, well, have you ever tried to get four people to decide on lunch? Yeah. It's fucking impossible. How do you decide on a global conspiracy where you just get everyone involved? That's impossible. I it's like actually, when, uh, it's really unlikely. Yeah, I like when people are like, it's a bit, it's like it's going to stop when the uh, when the elections are over and the Democrats are putting this thing on. I'm like, do you think a guy in Italy dying in the hospital bed right now gives a fuck or even knows no. who Joe Biden is? No, no, no. They probably they're stopped like, covering it. And then they're like, there's a worldwide cabal. It's like, okay, so what happens? So what? What's the end goal? And they're like, well, they're going to take over. Like who? What 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 is going to be the end yeah, goal? They, because if they're going to take over, don't they already? Wouldn't they already have the power? If there's a you know, if there's a fucking new world order, don't they already have it? I was like, they're they're already rich. So all they want, <laughs> I was like, you need small business and you need people to keep making money. Without people living their lives and like buying your shit, 
are like investing in your service, they're not going to make you more money. Yeah, they don't want us getting off the wheel. No shit. They <laughs> don't want us. Like, look, it's one big party and we ain't in it. But people no. need to understand. If people need to understand, like when it comes down, like what makes the country move is small business. Yeah. It's middle class people buying shit. Middle class people doing stuff. Like when you get on like, they're, they're trying to kill half the people. Really? They That's, that's losing half the tax market money. Share. Yeah, that's half That's the tax losing money. market share. And then you start asking logical questions and then people's you know it all starts falling apart and like i call bullshit on i have been to the black lives matter rallies i have been to multiple of them and i see these assholes with their fucking long guns and their tactical vests standing on the other side of the street i'm like where were you guys when like i'm not anti-gun i have a very complex opinion about guns i get that shooting guns are fun i get it i have shot a lot of i've shot a fully automatic machine gun i have shot a whole bunch of shit in my life and i get it they're fun but my thing is, is you're operating under the guise of the, the government is going to rise up and we need to rise up against them. But when they were actually pulling people into vans in Portland or when they're fighting with then they're fighting with the protesters, where the fuck are you guys? You guys are on the side with the cops. So you're not protecting yourself against government uprising because you saw government agents attacking people. So your narrative is complete fucking garbage. Yeah. Do you think that's first of all, it's a Texas and you're shooting guns isn't it (laughs) that's the texas in you shooting guns getting out there i'm not not even from i'm not even from texas yeah where where are you from by the way i'm from the south side of chicago i'm from like the south side i'm from an irish catholic neighborhood and i went from chicago to new orleans to austin new orleans that's a hoot i lived there for five and a half years that's a fucking hoot when you went to these so where did you go to these uh black lives matter rallies where were those uh, those were downtown Austin, and I went to the first. The first night was was dark, man. It was fucking dark, like right after George Floyd was killed. Yeah, like they took they turned out the lights on because it's like right where APD uh, Austin Police Headquarters is, right off 35, which is a highway that runs straight through the state of Texas, and it's right off of it. And people were like protesting all over it and it's on these big banks and the highways right here and just across is apd and they turned off the like lights over the highway of that stretch that's crazy people were out there and it was not it was not fucking for it was definitely a heavy day because this kid had just been killed in austin and uh people were really that they were they were upset about it but then the george floyd killing had reignited the name of mike ramos in town and they were like that kid was killed with no fucking impunity and so that was a huge deal and then i went the next night and it was like it got progressively better because at first the cops were like really really on edge and then by the second time i went later in the week they had like taken off a lot of them had taken off the tactical gear and a lot of cops and brass were out in the middle of the protesters talking i saw uh um, a black deaf dude signing, having a sign language conversation with the cop. I have it all on video. Yeah. And it was in like this incredibly like poignant moment. And then like in this last protest I went to, I saw a bunch of fucking white dudes rapping over sublime, like a band was playing sublime music and a white dude was rapping about fucking uh, equality and shit. And I was like, all right, this is Jump the Shark. So that was the oh, last dude, one white I people, went to. White, white people can't, uh, they can't let it go. They're the woke movement. So have you ever done a... Uh... I mean, you know, forgive me, but have you ever done a, a uh, on stage like appearance, like comedy show, live show? Yeah, I've written, I've done a billion readings. Yeah, so like being on like on stage, I found that I've never been on stage, but I always had this fear of going up there because of the woke movement and how white people have taken it over, especially white women. They've just taken it over, and they just want to be a part of it. Like that's what I've noticed in my own life is that every time something happens, just all the white people in my life are like, "This is it. I'm on board now." And I'm like, oh, well, well, you I mean, guys are. I know it that, takes them, but it's like it's so crazy they they like uh, hijack it, I guess. But that's indicative of whiteness, period. Though that's yeah, this thing is like we we ride shit till the wheels fall off. Like we're just intense people, and yeah. like it's just it's part of like we've never been told no for shit. That's what being white is. I mean, that's the whole argument of True. white privilege. And so, yeah, do people take it a little far? Yeah, and should these movements belong to us? No. But, I mean, you got to have certain allyships, which when you get white people talking about these things, that's important. Yeah. But, yeah, is there is the propensity to, like, 
go fucking super hard there. Absolutely. It's exhausting how like trying to like outwoke people are. I mean, I see it all the time in Austin, but like I said, it was a dude, it was a band of dudes playing like sublime music and a guy in a fucking basketball jersey and a bucket hat and long hair being like, <laughs> we got to get together. And it was, I was like, fuck you. <laughs> just, just taking it over. Just like, I'm just doing it all. It's going the opposite yeah. way. And it's like when this dude was like fucking freestyle rapping about like the people he saw in the crowd and faces. And I was like, no, bro, not today, this not is, tomorrow. This isn't for you, man. No. And I was like, and I texted a couple of people. I was like, Austin, Austin itself. Yeah. And Austin. I've, that's why uh, I've actually, I've talked to some people who are from uh, the Texas area. I met some people online through there and they, they live near Dallas, but I would ask about Austin. And I was like, what is Austin? Like, he's like, man, think of, what you think Los Angeles is like liberal, just put Austin there. Don't think of Los Angeles. Think of Austin. Yeah. But some, that's some fucking bullshit Dallas. So like the thing about Texas, Dallas is, Dallas is they're on, they, they love it. They love to be different. <laughs> they, they're not even different. They're fucking whack. So, uh, so here's the thing about Texas. Texas is not the place that for anybody who doesn't know the state of Texas, Texas is a very, very diverse place that you don't necessarily yeah. understand what it is, is, it's a gigantic state of 36 million people that have a Texas first mentality. Texas isn't a red state. It's a non-voting state. So a, a small percentage of people show up, but progressively it's getting, it's changing. Every city in Texas, Dallas, Houston, Austin, San Antonio, and then the Valley, which is the border of Mexico, all vote democratically. They, yeah. the Hillary, Hillary Clinton only lost by a million votes in Texas. This year, they think Texas, we, we've been, we always assume that 2024 was going to be the year that Texas would become a swing state. This year, they think it's going to become a swing state for the first time in a generation. Yeah, and so, so people don't, people don't understand the demographics of how Texas works, but Houston is the most diverse city in America. Houston is New York in the seventies. You can go to neighborhoods where it's like Punjabi food. There's Ecuadorian food. You can go to high schools where like every kid is from every walk of life. Houston is extraordinarily diverse. Austin is like tech, music, art. There's a lot of things there, but like Dallas is this place that like universally everybody in Texas just dogs yeah, because it's like yeah. everybody in the state of Texas will just talk shit. All the other cities are like on a unified front of like, we get you in your own weird ways. Like Houston, San Antonio, Austin, like there's a brotherhood there of like, Fuck we understand Dallas. we're all under one thing, but everybody's like, yeah, fuck Dallas. <laughs> Dude, well, it's like, well, Texas has gotten a bad rap. I think the same way Ohio gets a bad rap, even though I think it's probably true. Cause I'm from Ohio. And, uh, I would say Ohio gets a bad rap where we're like, Oh, look, we got all this farmland when it's really not like that. Like I'm from Cleveland and we're like, I mean, it's pretty, you know, I would, I don't know what the word is like forward. I guess there's a lot of shit going on here. Right. A lot of small breweries. To- yeah. A lot of small breweries around Cleveland, a lot of craft brews, uh, I've, that's how I, I've that's been how to Cleveland. Yeah, I've been in Cleveland. Yeah, it's a good place. I, the, the last time I was in Cleveland was 2005. Oh wow, it's been it's yeah, changed it's, a lot since though. I went to that. I took a road trip. I'm a diehard White Sox fan, and uh, I took a road trip. And we went from Chicago through Cleveland. We went. We were trying to catch a game at the Jake, but it wasn't open that day. We went to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, which sucked. Why did the uh, Why did the rock all suck? I mean, I've been there. I know why. I know why. But go ahead, tell me why. When When we were there, I was like, it's just a bunch of fucking clothes, right? Like, and I was like, there's no like. I was expecting like a fucking wing of the place to be. It's the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I was like, where's the room full of like Jimi Hendrix guitars and like Beatles shit? And it's like there was a Beatles wall, and then like an exhibit for the Who's Tommy, which was cool, but beyond that, I was like, this sucks. It's just a room full of fucking clothes. The Beatles wall is still there. You only have to go if for people that want to go to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. You only have to go once. Yeah, like you only have to go once. There's not a there's not a reason to go back. Yeah, it's it's no better. It's a hard it's a hard rock cafe is actually better. Yeah, I would actually say because I've been to a couple hard rock cafes because I'm I have terrible choices, and you go to a hard rock and they actually have guitars and they actually have like drumsticks that have been used and stuff. The Rock yeah. Hall, it's just oh this guy wore a jacket. Yeah, it's. <laughs> We went to that, and then in 2002, we left Chicago, and, uh, like, I grew up in hardcore music, and you guys had a festival for, like, a year or two called uh, Hess Fest. There's a really famous artist called Derek Hess that's from Cleveland, and he put on a couple of these, like, hardcore fests for, like, two, three years, and we went in 2002, and it was 
we literally drove in, went to the show, and then drove straight back to Chicago that night. Wow. What kind of – so you're talking like hard rock was the theme there? Uh, metal? Uh, hardcore is like the intersection between punk and metal. Okay. And it's a very socially forward music. Um, it's all about like loyalty and community and respect and like bands like uh, who would – I'm trying to think of like listeners might know. Like the Gorilla Biscuits is an old band, Stick of It All, Gnostic Front uh this was this year was 2002 so like every time i die played who else played god forbid there's a bunch of bands that like play but it's essentially rooted in punk and punk ideals of this space is for if you're uh there was like multiple bands that are like different religions like there's christian bands for a while there's christian bands there's bands that were like total anarchists but then there's bands that were like totally pro-woman pro-gay and like all of these music these bands like opened us up to all these different political stances. And that's how I became political is because hardcore music taught me that everybody should have a voice and like racism's fucking gross. Homophobia is gross and all this other shit. But like be, despite being an angry, loud, violent music, it's all about like what we're screaming at each other is like our pushing against the culture of we you believe in inclusiveness. And so there was a big festival that was happening there for a couple of years. We drove out for it. So what is your favorite, we'll talk music. What is your favorite, uh, what is your favorite genre of music? So is it that or is it? Uh, That's like, I've been a music journalist for so long that like I have so many opinions. I can go, I have different. I'm a fucking noob. So here we go. uh, I have different, it just, it's, you can go by genre. I can go by favorite singer of all time. I can. We can go, we can literally just touch on all any right. kind of favorite. Genre. All right, here, I'm going to go. I have a hot take for best guitarist all time. Who I would you top, say? I have a top three. All right, go. You do your top three. I'll do my top three. My top three are Jimi Hendrix, Steve Ray Vaughan, and Dimebag Daryl. Okay, well, we're going to agree on Hendrix. I'm going to give you uh, Prince as another one. Oh, I, I, have a, I have a riff on Prince here. And Keep then, going. And then I'll give you, um, I want to say for me, it's my personal things. I think music is so subjective. You'll probably agree with that. I really like, I mean, it's Eric Clapton for my third one. I like Eric Clapton. I love Cream and I love that uh, Derek the Dominoes record. And I like when he was in John Mayall's Blues Breakers. Yeah. I think Clapton has been like a very intrinsic, important part of music history and he's irreplaceable. I just think he's boring. It is uh, no, so that's okay. So I was gonna tell you that it's such a slow. It's why they call him slow hand, but it's like slow and heavy. He never get. Would you agree with that? It's like he plays like the heaviness. Yeah, I mean, he's. I love Eric Clapton musically, but I just think he's just a boring. He's not flashy, and he's not. He's. If I want to hear like that silky smooth version of soloing, David Gilmore does it better. Oh, and well, what do you think about George Harrison? I'm big on George Harrison being underrated. Oh, George Harrison. I'm uh, so I'm around uh, downtown Galveston. I'm around the block. There was these this artist has a bunch of pictures of the Beatles as skeletons. Yeah. And I was wow. like, I am about to buy one of those. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I love my son's middle name is actually Lennon. Wow. Yeah. That's big. Have, I'm a huge I'm a huge Beatles fan. Yeah. One of my 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 first son is uh, Jackson Cash and my other son is Lucas Lennon. Wow, that's I mean that's dedication. I've I talked yeah. about I talked with my I mean I'm not gonna have kids anytime soon. I'm only 22, but I've talked with my girlfriend. Yeah. We've been together for like five years, and I said if we had a girl, I would name her Julia after the song, the Beatles sure. song. But what was your riff yeah, on no. Prince? Oh, so in my opinion, the greatest rock and roll moment of the last 20 years is Prince at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame playing while my guitar jam. Oh, yeah. If you guys haven't seen that video, for the listeners, if you haven't seen that video, that is a, first of all, to get, you, you'll agree with this, the getting a lot of musicians on one stage, really no rehearsing that have never played together is a disaster usually. But do you, do you know the backstory to that shit? Uh, I've, I've read a little bit, not as probably as much as you do, but it's crazy, I think. So check this. They fucking put that lineup together, and it's Danny Harrison, Tom Petty, uh, Jeff Lynne from Electric Light Orchestra. Um, yeah, I think it's Paul McCartney's drummer that's playing with them, and uh, Jeff uh, Jeff Lynne from Electric Light Orchestra's lead guitar player is playing there too. So they get up, and then they get Prince involved. And Prince was like, Danny Harrison really wanted Prince, and so Prince agrees to do it, and they show up to 
to rehearsal and dude from uh electric light orchestra is just nailing the solos he's playing them pitch perfect exactly well, he was in, like wasn't he in the, uh, the traveling wilburys so he would know the solo he played with Harrison. well well, yeah, uh, that's Jeff Lynn, the singer. He brought his lead guitar player. Oh, to okay, play you're talking. Well. Okay, sorry, I was. I thought you were talking so, Jeff Lynn. Yeah, so there's a there's a dude. Uh, Tom Petty was in Traveling Wilburys too. Also, yeah. Um, but so like his lead guitar player is playing it note for note, pitch perfect. Prince get up there and he's looking around. He goes, "What do you want me to play?" And they're like, "How about you just play like the solo? We'll give you the bar at the end." And so he goes, "Cool." He's like, "I'm out of here." So Prince yeah, never leaves. fucking yeah. Prince leaves. Prince didn't even stay to fucking practice. <laughs> they were like, "Well, is he going to play? Is he going to show up?" They didn't even know if Prince was going to show back up. That's crazy. So Prince reappears like right before they play it. He fucking gets in there. You don't see him. He's off to the side. No, of the they stage. have him. No, it's so crazy because it's like he's dimmed. Yeah, they don't light him up. He has to walk in. He's off to the side. Yeah, <laughs> and he fucking gets up there and he just starts ripping. That was all improvised. He never practiced it. And you can watch them. If you watch the video, you'll see Tom Petty. Uh, you'll see all three. Like Tom Petty, Danny Harrison, and Jeff Lynn keep nodding for him to keep taking bars. Yeah. He was only supposed to play two bars. He ends up playing eight because yeah. they all knew that they were watching something incredible. And they told him to keep going because you see them nod to keep it going. And then he'll finally look over. Uh, you'll see him look over to the right and then he'll look in, you know, that's when he knows he's going to end it. And then he throws his guitar up in the air and who caught it? I, no one knows. Yeah. There was a funny YouTube comment. Like the top comment is like Prince's there. They say Prince's guitar is still floating to this day. <laughs> yeah. I believe it. Cause that, that shit is, is, is untouchable. Like, there was another, there was another good Prince story. Uh, it's so, it's so quick. It was Dave Grohl was telling this story uh, recently. Cause it was like Prince's, uh, they did like some Prince show on BET or something. And I don't remember. I, I watched it for a little bit and uh, I was watching and, and Dave Grohl comes on and he goes, yeah, I wanted to jam with Prince. And he's like, you want to come on stage? And I'm like, yeah, of course I want to come on stage. And then he's like, I don't get a call back for like a week. And it's like a week. It was like a week away. They were going to do some stage. They were going to be together and they tell him, Hey, show up here, whatever. Prince doesn't call him, doesn't text him or whatever. He just shows up and Prince is like, what are you doing here? He's like, I thought we were going to play. Because he was under the impression they were going to play together. And he's like, oh, you want to play? So they just go out and start jamming. And he's just calling out chords and stuff. And, and Prince is just playing. And Dave's like, well, then he told me to go home when I was done. We just jammed for half an hour. He told me just to leave. So I never even got on stage with him. <laughs> yeah, there's, you can, if you do a little Google searching, there's a lot of people who have all these crazy stories. Like there was a dude who like wrote a book about Prince. Like he was working with him for a year and he's like, dude, they would just call me at random. He's like, I was on the payroll the whole time. Yeah. He's like, I was getting paid and they would just randomly call me and be like, Hey, you need to come to like Sarasota tomorrow. And I would go to my own hotel room and Prince wouldn't even like meet me. He would just call me from the room next door. <laughs> and like they basically, there was this other hotel that they it's right near it's like a holiday inn or something that was right near paisley park up in uh minnesota and basically they were like yeah we just called that paisley park too because all these different people would have like to do shit with prince would like stay there and sometimes for weeks and then he would just decide to need pay for the whole thing and give them a stipend and all this other shit and sometimes they were used sometimes they weren't and then there's like a story of like i think it was shack's house he no, it's, someone's house. no, no, it's Boozer. I was about to tell you this. Carlos Boozer. Yeah, he, that's it. Carlos Boozer's house. He's like, Prince wanted to stay here. And he just like outfitted it. He redid it. He remodeled. And then when he left, like he remodeled Carlos Boozer's house. He came home and he's like, what, what's wrong with my house? And they told him, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. His house is all different. And then he just, when he left, when he was done renting, they just renovated it back. That's yeah. insane. Yeah, he was an interesting cat. I asked on Facebook the other day uh, on the Robert Dean page, I was like, Prince or Michael Jackson? A lot of people said Prince. Yeah, this is my biggest thing. So remember when, um, uh, I mean, obviously, Bohemian Rhapsody came out and there was this big this big behind of Freddie Mercury being this this uh, great singer. And I, I'm on board with that. And then they talked about his being like this big star. And I'm like, well, Queen wasn't as big as I think that movie made them out to be. They were like a, a second act on Live Aid. You know what I mean? No, they weren't but Queen. Queen was a big band. No, but I'm talking, they weren't supposed to be there as the number one act. Wasn't it supposed to be Zeppelin? Uh, I don't know. I, I, that I don't, I'm not sure about, but all I know is like Live Aid 
because they were they were broken up by that time. They did they were they'd come back. Yeah, they'd been broken up for a while, and then Live Aid they like because that's considered the like the moment that Queen like became transcendent because of yeah. how good they were, and because uh, they were broken up for a couple of years, and when they did that, that was like that big moment. Like I. I remember when Freddie Mercury died. Jesus, yeah. getting old. Yeah, the oh, I just thought about that because I was like, well, Freddie Mercury tried to go solo in the eighties, and he could oh, yeah, not. It was terrible. And he couldn't compete with guys like Jackson and, and Prince. Like it was just they were on two different levels. Yeah, his solo his solo stuff is not good. No, it's not. And uh, the solo stuff for Prince is he's the band. That's what I don't like. People don't. I talked about this today. I said Prince was the drummer, the keyboards, the vocals, the guitar, the bass. He played it all for albums sometimes. Yeah. He would just do there's, it. They're figuring out now how to release. I guess there's something like 300 hours of music. And they're trying to figure out how to release it. Yeah, he has this vault. It's called the vault at Paisley Park. It was locked for all these years. So everyone's like, what's in there? Because, I mean, you know, there's a lot of classic Prince shit. I'm sure there's a lot of garbage in there, too. Sure. I mean, I don't like all this stuff, but I think he's a fucking legend. Yeah, no, I fucking love Prince, but I was on—I was in the minority that I picked Michael Jackson over Prince. You picked Michael Jackson over Prince? I did. I, I just love, get- like. Don't get me wrong. I love Prince. I love. There is no argument on earth that will I ever say that I don't love Prince. Sure. But fuck Pyt. Oh, like, Pyt, dude. Pyt off the wall. Rock with you, like Billy Jean. That's my shit, man. I cried when Prince died. I mean, I've, I I didn't cry when uh, I cried when Michael Jackson died. Well, I know where I was when Michael Jackson died. It's so funny. It was a rain out. I played I played a lot of baseball when I was younger, and I remember it was raining. It was a day in I think it was June, if I'm not mistaken. That was like 2008. Yeah, it might have been August or June. It was somewhere I'm in the summer. I don't remember, but I remember that where I was. I was in my dad's car. We just got told it rain out, and they came over the radio. <laughs> A little fresh cameo for the for the podcast but uh the he came over the radio and said michael jackson died on a country station because my parents listened to country so they came over and said michael jackson was dead pronounced dead i was like that, yeah, was, a, that was insane i remember watching the funeral too yeah i had just moved to new orleans when uh he died yeah i if i if we had to debate michael jackson and prince we could probably do all night because i mean i i like them both like same probably with you feeling but i just can't like every time I hear a Prince song, it's like the guitar solos to the, just the beats, the singing. Oh, Prince is a bona fide genius. Yeah. And Michael Jackson is just an entertainer. Like that's yeah. the difference is it comes down to preference of what you what you're expecting. Like can the average human write Purple Rain? No. 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 <laughs> and Michael Jackson didn't write any of his songs. Quincy Jones wrote them all. But yeah, he was a puppet that went on stage, did the stuff, could moonwalk and you know, it's, I just, I love that shit. So it's like thrillers, a fucking fun song. And like, yeah. there's just things about Michael Jackson that I love. When I was a kid, I had a red leather jacket and I called it my Michael Jackson jacket. <laughs> the, if you had to pick a, a Super Bowl halftime performance, Prince or Michael Jackson, which one's better? Oh, Prince, Prince, Prince is the, it's the one. I mean, that's, yeah, that's it. That's it, man. I mean, it, like, and it was raining when he played oh. and like, did you see the video? Did you see the video where they called him and they're like, I want you to know it's raining. And he goes, yes, it's raining. And he's like, is that okay? He's like, can you make it rain harder? Yeah. And that was just, I mean, that's just such a Prince thing to say. And he goes up there and it looks like he's not even getting wet. His hair doesn't move the whole time. It's actually fucking amazing. Yeah. And he just gets up there and fucking rips. Then he plays like Foo Fighters (laughs) best of you out of nowhere. Yeah. And he's, and it's amazing. It's almost better than the Foo Fighters. Yeah. I don't, I don't really like the Foo Fighters. You don't like the Foo Fighters? Nah, man. Fucking... Like it's like here's my thing with the Foo Fighters. I think the Foo Fighters are extraordinarily important to music. Yeah. I think Dave Grohl is like the best dude. But after Color and Shape, they kind of lost me because I was way more. You know, I, I grew up like Nirvana was my favorite band when Kurt died. Yeah. So like, I was 13 when Nurt when Kurt killed himself. They were my favorite band, and it's just I was already like way in the like metal punk rock and roll i grew up on that shit 
So like when like Color and Shape was fun, the first Foo Fighters record was fun. But once they like started going like more dad rocky and arena songs, hmm. they lost the plot with me. I'm not saying it doesn't have its value. It's just not for me. Yeah, like, I, like, I think Dave Dave Roll's like the best dude. Yeah, I think the uh, There's Nothing Left to Lose is my favorite Foo Fighters album. That was the I second mean, one. The, it might have been the third one. That's the third one because the first one is the self-title and the second one is right. Color and the Shape. That's got yeah. Everlong on it. Yeah, third one. I mean, it's got Learn to Fly. I love yeah, that see, like, see, that's where they lose me is like yeah. all that. <laughs> yeah. Did you have you seen Soaked in Bleach? You said Kurt Cobain killed himself. Are you? I've and I'm seen this all that. Have you? I've are you in a conspiracy? Yeah, and I don't buy it all. Yeah, one, I don't buy it one either. iota. Look, man, yeah. Kurt Kurt Cobain was a depressed junkie. Yeah. At the end of the day, he hated his life. He tried to kill himself multiple times. Yeah. And that's just, it is what it is, man. Like, and I bawled because he was, they were my favorite band. Right. And I was supposed to see Nirvana and I didn't get to go. Right. Like, well, it's funny. It's kind of a parallel. I mean, it's not, not nearly as, as bad, uh, not nearly as, uh, I guess, catastrophic to the band, but I was supposed to see Foo Fighters in May and it was, it was canceled, obviously, and they were supposed to come back in October, and they just canceled, so I'm not going. I've seen them. I saw them on their first tour. I mean, they put on a fucking hell of a show. Yeah, I saw them in 96. Yeah. Yeah, they put it's on a long while back. Hell of a show. I, uh, did you, so I'm, I'm actually just getting into, I mean, I've been into like Soundgarden and shit, but like Chris Cornell, I just did a whole, because it was his birthday a couple of weeks ago, and I got really into like this whole about Chris Cornell because I saw a Rolling Stone article about it. Who is your favorite outside of Nirvana? What's your favorite grunge Seattle sound music band? Allison Chains. Yeah. Man in the Box. Allison Allison Chains for sure. Uh, I love Soundgarden too. I saw Soundgarden as well. Um, We were trying, me and my best friend were trying to tally. We think including local shows and shows we've played uh, somewhere around 500. Wow. I've seen you can pretty much just like fire them off and I've probably seen them. Have you? Do you play an instrument? Yeah, I was in a hardcore band in the early 2000s that was doing pretty well. And then I, when that band broke up, I kind of like decided that I was out, like I was retired yeah. from playing music and I was going to really just focus on writing. Sure. And now, and through the pandemic, I bought a bass during the pandemic. And now I think I'm going to start like an old band, like beer money band, just like get together with four dudes, have fun on a Saturday night and just kill it for like 30 minutes and hang out oh, and no. so i wanted to buy kinda, a hoffner bass yeah i yeah i bought a black jazz bass and like i literally am just been playing like sick of it all and siv riffs and like the clash so you so, said so i have a big nirvana topic i know some pretty big nirvana fans in my own life because they just love rock music what uh favorite nirvana album we always debate this best nirvana album is what for you? Oh, it's in utero. Yeah. All right. Thank you. Because I thought I swear if you would have said, I mean, it's it's obviously in your in utero. It's deeper. It's more musically forward than I think. You know, never mind is. In utero is Nirvana at their like peak performance. It is yeah. what Nirvana is. Like, is never mind good? Yeah, dude. There's train use on it. Uh, yeah, like I feel like pissings. Like it. Yeah, I feel like when people do this, like. I don't want to. I'm not putting down. Never mind. That's still a great album, but In Utero is so yeah. much is is just to me better. They're both I remember great. when In Utero. I remember when uh, Nevermind broke. I was 11, and that was the one of those pivotal moments of like, oh, I like this music now. Yeah. Like I like that opened the door because that Metallica's Black album came out around the same time. And like that, I was like, fuck, this is what I like. Because up until that point, it was like, because around 10, I started like really like kind of getting my ideas of what I was into. But like I'd liked, you know, like Vanilla Ice and shit and hell yeah, whatever. <laughs> and then like I heard Nirvana and I was like, no, no, wait, 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 what is this? And then that was like Nirvana grunge and Pearl Jam, the Black Crows, and then I got into punk and I saw the t-shirts that these guys were wearing and I was like, what the fuck is the Misfits? And I got into the Misfits and Black Flag and the Sex Pistols and I was off to the races by then. Yeah. By the time I was 12, I was fully, like, fucking that kid. And yeah, it's, it's fucking amazing. But 
I bought in utero the day it came out and I was supposed to see Nirvana in 1993 at the Aragon Ballroom in Chicago. It was my birthday gift and they were playing two dates for Halloween, but I was a shithead and got in trouble. Oh, you got in trouble? They got the old, oh, fuck. You're not going and my mom gave my ticket to my older cousin who took a friend instead of me saying, you'll get to go next time and Kurt was dead in six months. That's so shitty. Do you blame your mom for that? No, I blame me for being a shithead. Yeah, yeah, I was hoping you'd say that. And my first show was that summer, because uh, that was supposed to be my first show, and then my first show ended up being Lollapalooza 94, which I saw whole when Courtney Love was like a full-blown hot mess. Dude. And uh, so, yeah, Lollapalooza 94, and then, then from there, I've been going to shows ever since. So, like, saw the Pumpkins in their prime, saw Soundgarden, saw Dinosaur Jr., didn't see Alice in Chains because Lane was too much of a junkie. They never really toured really a lot anyhow. They didn't. No, that was when this like grunge deep dive I've done. I haven't. They didn't do a lot of touring. No, they're like Lane a grunge studio a, band. Yeah, Lane was just too much of a junkie, and they couldn't do it. That's crazy. And, but I mean, I saw fuck. I saw Pantera six times. Um, where were you? Black did you? When did Dime? I mean, I know Dimebag Daryl got shot on stage. Wasn't that like? To the day of John Lennon being shot? December 8th, 2004. Yeah, that's what I thought. That's fucking yeah. insane. Yeah, I saw them 97, 99, 2000. And I saw them six times right around there. I saw them open up for one show I got to see. It was Pantera open up for like the original lineup of Black Sabbath. Like Bill wow. Ward was actually playing with them. They didn't have like a studio guy in like they did on their last run two years ago. So yeah, you know like, I saw I saw in concert in November, and I mean it's not rock. I mean it's not like rock music like that. It's uh, I saw Elton John in concert. Oh, that's awesome! Elton John's fucking amazing, dude. In for three hours, you can't go to the bathroom because he's playing fucking hits for three. He sits down at eight o'clock and he plays till eleven o'clock. Fucking hits. I bet, dude. Fucking. It, it doesn't matter. Mona, he's yeah. Mona Lisa's and Mad Hatters. Come on, all day. He didn't even that. He didn't even play that song, and he got 28 songs in. Jesus. And they were all fucking hits, and they were all... They weren't even long. He didn't. He only, like, a long... And Levon went a little long with, like, a guitar solo, but it was fucking sweet. Wasn't going to complain. <laughs> yeah, I mean, all that shit, dude. Fucking Goodbye Yellow Brick Road. Oh, yeah. There's, yeah, that's all day. My I grew up on Elton John. Like, my parents raised us on, like, rock and roll, old country, and the blues. So, like, we were hearing... Black Sabbath, Elton John, the Allman Brothers, Johnny Cash, Muddy Waters, Hank Williams, all that shit yeah. when we were kids. My parents are cool. So yeah. when I got into when I got into rock and roll, they were like, all right, just make this yeah. And that makes and, sense. Yeah, they were like, ugh. Like, cause I was a kid and like I liked vanilla ice and shit. But then like when I got it, they were like, Finally, you've arrived. Yeah, I think now like my parents grew up, they I mean, they only listen to country music. My dad listens to rock a little bit. Uh, they listen to country music just because I think it's always on in the car and they think it's the easiest radio station to find around here. They, uh, I love country music. Yeah, they just listen to it. They love stadium country. Uh, it's like the it's fucking, like yeah, pop you know, country. Yeah, pop country. They love the shit that you can fucking drink a beer to. You know what I'm saying? And I they, um, hate that stuff. Yeah, so, but I'm into, like, I'm into rock music now. And it's like my dad, he's, it's like he's, he's a child of the 70s. So, you know, late 70s ish stuff. So he's into who, uh, you know, shit like that. So that's yeah, what he's into. I, so we bond over it. Yeah, I love the Who, with Johnny Cash. Hey, I have a Hank Williams portrait tattooed on my wrist. Wow, really? Yeah, I mean, uh, Waylon Jennings. There's like a mil- there's a million good new country bands. Yeah, but like there's country has gotten to the point of there's like pop country, which I just call Southern pop at this point. Yeah, and it's just fucking Rihanna in, in a cowboy hat. I call it pander country. Yeah, just pandering just, to the audience. Yeah, all it is is drink a beer, fucking go America, sitting on a back road, doing float all that Float down bullshit. the river. Yeah, float down the river. I could yeah. write a country song. Like, if I can write this song, I don't like the music. Yeah, fuck all that. <laughs> like, I could write the song. It would take me two days, and I would write a song about sitting in the backyard, drinking beer with a dog, and everyone would be like, oh, my God, this is beautiful. <laughs> yeah, you want to hear real? You want to hear good country music in two thousand and fucking twenty? Buy a Tyler Childers record. Yeah, forget a fucking search. It's fucking tough. Yeah, there's a bunch of stuff. Like, I'm a, uh, the head writer for a site called Farce the Music, and we've been around a long time, and 
we talk about like the intersection between like rock and roll country, underground country and all that stuff. And there's a ton. It's all, it's there. You just, all you gotta do is hop on Spotify and you can find it. Yeah. You gotta look for it. All right, man, this was great. You want to tell them where you can find you and what your project was again? Uh, so yeah, you can find me, uh, on Instagram. It's literally Robert Dean. You can find me on Facebook. It's probably like Robert Dean's world. I don't know. Like you'll see, I'm fucking fat and covered in tattoos. You'll find me. It's easy. hard to miss. Yeah. Look him up on, fa- on Facebook, he had some funny videos I watched. It was pretty good. Uh, that's all there. And there's some lively commentary about what's going on socially. Sure. And you can find me. Just pay attention to the to the socials because that's where you'll see, like, whatever I, I've recently published and where you can read it. You'll, it'll always be on there. And then, because I'm, like, I have write for so many places. Yeah. Between, like... I mean, I well, right now I probably write for like 10 different places. So it's like we're naming them off as dumb. But sometime in September, uh, Functioning on Zero, Robert Dean live from The Lost Well will be dropping. And I hope that you will watch it, share it, and be a part of... I hate sounding like this dickhead that says, go to the community. But what is happening on Facebook is a very lively discussion with people who give a shit. And it's become like, you know, a couple of thousand people that bond together about my bullshit and I'm very, very thankful and I'm very humbled and proud that people care. So I would love to meet new people and hear their stories and have them join us. And when we're arguing about like mundane bullshit about what's your favorite mayonnaise. (laughs) Favorite mayonnaise or, or just talking shit about music for a couple minutes. Yeah. We all that. I mean, you typically, the ones that get the most response are politics, of course. Of course. Uh, and then food. And then, like, these weird, like, I'll ask these really weird mundane questions. People get really passionate because I was like, do you like Miracle Whip? And people went in the hard and the pain over <laughs> that shit. I don't like Miracle Whip, so put me down for now. Yeah, I mean, I, I could just written this thing for Cleaver and Blade about, like, how QP mayonnaise is the best. I don't know if you've never had QP. QP mayonnaise? Too. Cupy, it's Japanese mayonnaise. Oh, I've definitely never had it. My mom, my mom loves mayonnaise, and it's only Miracle Whip. Yeah, go to when you go to the store. Go to your like, whatever place whatever you got aisle, out there. Yeah. Go to the mayonnaise aisle and look for Cupy. Any? T- do you like sushi? I do. Anytime you've ever had Japanese food or most like high end aiolis, Cupy is the thing of it because it's it's chefs love it so much. The caps are even designed for chefs. Oh wow! Because it's so like universally used. So it's a much more like richer taste instead of like, they don't use the egg whites. They only use the yolks. So it's like a more robust, really deep umami flavor. And it, it'll change your game on fucking mayonnaise all day long. <laughs> we'll finish with mayonnaise talk. All right. This is great, man. Thank you so much for coming on. Robert Dean. Yeah. Yes. Thank you for having me. I deeply appreciate it.
Mm-hmm.